that. Will you join me in prayer just for this service, for you, for me, the speaker, just for a brief moment. Lord Jesus, we pray right now, Lord, for your spirit to go forth. We already feel your presence, your spirit dwelling in this house this morning, Lord. And we're grateful for that That tangible atmosphere that you have provided for us, Lord. But we come here expecting to see something done, Lord. And so we pray, Jesus, that your word would go forward, that you would anoint me, the speaker, that I would bring forth the word you have placed upon me, Lord. And I pray, Jesus, for those that would hear, that it would pierce into the marrow of their bones, Lord. And we pray for your mercy and for your grace continually and evermore. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. He's reminded me that I need to dismiss Rock Church. <laughs> so Rock Church, you are dismissed. All the kids are like, come on. <laughs> Anytime now. <laughs> I did that last night too. That's just the, uh, that's the first time speaker nerves, I guess. Has anyone ever moved have you ever moved before? Have you ever helped somebody move before? Maybe you're currently moving, and you're like, please stop talking about moving. But anyone who's ever moved, what happens? You get to that day of moving, right? And it's like, it's moving day. Yay! No, nobody thinks that. But, and you look at everything you have, and you think of this one thought enters into your mind. I can't believe I have all this stuff. It's as though overnight things just multiplied. It's like I go in my garage and there's 16 more boxes than I remember having. And for my family, I can speak from experience because the first 10 years of our marriage, we moved every single year. And sometimes we moved twice a year. Yeah, I learned a lesson from all that moving. Less is more. <laughs> but because of that lesson, we, we, we have uh, kind of adopted this, this tradition to downsize yearly. And just recently, my family and I decided to clean out our home from the excess. And so we went and we rented a 40-yard dumpster. And we threw out boxes, dressers, couches, just things that outlived their purpose. And we filled that entire 40-yard dumpster up. You know, sometimes you just got to get rid of stuff that has outlived its purpose and has become broken. In our North American culture, we're so blessed. I mean, if you live in the United States, you are blessed. And you might be the lowest of lows in the socioeconomic pecking order, but you're still going to be better off than other places in this world. And I'm going to take it a step further. We live in the most advanced time of human history. And by our modern conveniences, we are blessed. I mean, think about it. We, the best of foods, have the most convenient way of getting them. Things like Grubhub. Uber Eats, DoorDash, and a few others can deliver all types of food and everyday necessities to your home. If you were in the pandemic, which we all were, I'm sure at some point, maybe you didn't use these, but you might have. And you realized how expensive they were and you stopped using them. <laughs> but they deliver things like Indian cuisine and appetizing Mexican, tantalizing Italian, Texas, or steaks from a Texas steakhouse. And even a foot long from Subway. And then we have information at the sound of our voice. Hey Siri, how many people thought this just went off? <laughs> then we have Google Maps, 
Apple Maps and other types of GPS available on the most basic of devices. We have glucose monitors that monitor a diabetic's insulin in microwaves and foodie ninjas. If you don't know what a foodie ninja is, you got to look that up. That's awesome. Then they have ice makers that sit on your shelves and they conveniently make sonic ice. Who here likes sonic ice? Yeah, it's like the best ice ever. And then there's watches that they not only tell the time and they have GPS, but they can actually call the paramedics when your blood pressure goes too high or too low. We have floating trains that go speeds of 370 miles per hour. Supersonic planes that do double the speed of sound. We have thousands and thousands of books online. And we can attend the, col- the best colleges around the world just via a monitor. We have clean and potable water from a tap. We are blessed. You know, each and every single one of us would have been the envy of kings and queens, of rulers from past decades, long past forgotten in this modern day because of the conveniences that we have at our access. But there's a problem that arises out of an abundance of things. When you have many of these accessible niceties, you can fall into the trap of not truly appreciating those things that you have. Have you ever been to a kid's birthday party where they, they go and they sit in the middle of the room and it's, it's time to open gifts and you see all these gifts surrounding the child and, and they're sitting there, they're opening it up and it's like rip, 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 next, 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 right? And they get to the final one and you watch them rip it all apart and it's done. There's like this reaction on their face of disappointment because there's not another gift to open. We can get that way with God sometimes. Because he gives us provision, and he gives us blessing, and he gives us healing. And if we're not careful, we can lose sight of what has happened in our lives. We say, thank you, Lord, for the miracle. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing and for the provision. And if we're not guarded, we just keep on moving ahead as if there's more to it, as if there should have been more to the initial blessing than what was there. It was Martin Luther who said, the greater God's gifts and works, the less they are regarded. He is a hungry man. He is more thankful for a parcel, a morsel of food than a rich man for an overflowing table of food. You know, a lonely woman at a nursing home is more thankful for a single visit than a popular woman who socializes several times a week with her friends. A Russian who finally gets a copy of God's word for his own after decades of state-enforced atheism. That man is more thankful than we are for all the Christian books, CDs, DVDs, magazines that overflow our bookshelves. I heard a story of a missionary who saw a man and he took his Bible. He saw this man, this man had torn half of his Bible out. He saw this man, he thought, I'm going to rebuke this man. But before he could rebuke the man, the man started to tell him about his Bible. He said, I never had a Bible growing up. Me and my brother, we just, we never had one. And he said, I felt like when I got this copy of the Bible, the right thing to do would be to give half of it to him. He's a pastor, I'm a pastor, and so we felt like that was just the right thing to do. It's about perspective. Because perspective changes things. 
There was an observation from Ralph Waldo Emerson. He said, if the stars should appear but one night, once every thousand years, how man would marvel and stare. Ask yourself, and the stars and the constellations only appear to be one night every thousand years. Wouldn't we be out buying binoculars, cameras, and telescopes just to capture that event? What about if we lived in a country where our freedom to gather in church services, to worship God like this here morning, became restricted to not possible at all? Wouldn't it be a rare and precious, priceless privilege to us? But because we have a meeting every week, three times a week available to us, it becomes an option. It becomes unappreciated by some, by many, and becomes typical for all of us. There's also a chance that we can look at small groups in the same light. Because if I go to church two times a week, why do I need to go to a small group? It's because it's the vision of Refuge Church. Receive hope, turn and offer hope. But how do we receive hope? How do we offer hope? Well, first, it's done with a vertical relationship. And secondly, it's done with a horizontal relationship. It's achieved through things like Wednesday night's Principles for Life, where we teach practical life lessons that you can take with you along that sanctification time in your life where God is working on you, and you can apply those things to your life and be more in the image of Christ. Then you have Saturday and Sunday services where we receive inspiration. We can respond at an altar, and God can fill our spiritual tanks in those moments. Those are vertical relationships. But what about the horizontal? The small groups are for that connection with people that we attend church with. But not just those that we attend church with, for those that don't attend our church yet. Because we need to be, we need to be intentional about inviting people to our small groups. Because that is a place where they can feel connected and they can feel like they belong. Small groups are an important part of our culture here at Refuge Church. And if you skip out on small groups and you lose sight of what is the culture of Refuge Church, and chances are, if you haven't attended a small group, you haven't made that a part of your discipline, then I would say that you might feel disconnected. If that is you, the good news is at the end of August, we are going to be relaunching into small groups. You'll have an opportunity to sign up. Now, this is not a plug for that. But... I am the small group director, so. <laughs> well, you know, but when we do not attend a small group, I think the, the thing is that we lose an opportunity to reach someone in a small group that could be holding on by just a thread. It's your selfless sacrifice to attend that meeting that gives someone a connection that they desperately needed. So let's not lose sight of these privileges that we have to fellowship one with another. It's about perspective. It's the greatest of gifts that we take the most for granted. You know, this is all of us. It's really the human condition. And one of the things that I find myself taking for granted as I begin to get older, and I say older or mature, I'm still 20. I'm going to remain 20, so that's just, we're going to settle that right there. But, you know, I've noticed that my bounce back's a little bit slower. I'm not as quick to recover. And I remember people telling me that, and I was like, yeah, okay. I don't know. Uh, you know, but I know now that that's true. And I can, can anybody attest to that? 
You know, but as, as humanity, what do we do? We pay the most attention to health when we are given a prognosis that is troubling, that's grim or rather unpleasant, to say the least. And that's when you think the most about your health. Has anyone ever done one of those bread Bible readings or maybe a yearly reading? You know, in a yearly reading plan, you're going to come across this extremely entertaining book of Leviticus. And Leviticus chapter 13 describes what needed to be done for a person to have leprosy identified in their body. The pronunciation of leprosy was a process. They would have to go show themselves to the priest, and the priest had things that they had to do according to that chapter 13 of Leviticus. And this really was to declare whether someone was sick or not with that dreadful disease. Leprosy was a terrible and an uncurable disease in the ancient world of Israel. But there is hope contained in Scripture. There's always hope contained in Scripture. Amen? For those that had contracted leprosy, there was a hope. It was in the very next chapter that God gave us the plan for when someone who was made clean from leprosy was found in Leviticus chapter 14. But you know, there's not a single time, not even a single mention in Jewish history, where a Jew had contracted this horrific disease and went to the priest to have Leviticus 14 performed. Now automatically, you might be a Bible scholar and just automatically say, well, what about Naaman? But you know, Naaman was a leper, and he was cleansed, but he was Assyrian. Naaman never had to go show himself to the priest. In fact, it was Jesus who reminded the people in the synagogue that there was never a time in which the cleansing ritual had taken place for a leper. Luke 4.27 says, And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet, prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. It never happened for a leper from the time that Moses had, re- had received that ceremonial law to the time that Jesus walked this earth. Not once is there a recording, either in the oral traditions or the Old Testament, that Leviticus 14 was performed. And for a leper, multiple parts of their life were affected for the individual who had contracted it. The first of those effects was the physical. It would generally start as just a red spot on your skin and slowly or even progressively intensify. And as this disease worsened, it would deaden the nerve endings in the victim's body and cause lesions from untreated sores. A leper could be cutting something and cut their finger completely off. And not feel it. They could be sleeping next to a fire. Roll into the fire. And burn their leg to the bone. And not realize it until the next morning. Leprosy would mangle. And cause the insides of a leper to betray them. And become putrefied. And with virtually no way to treat the disease. Someone who contracted leprosy. Will be sent to a camp to die. Where other lepers would go to die as well. But there was a second effect. And that was on the mental of a leper. Uh, visualize with me a priest saying that you had contracted leprosy. Your life as you know it would have been turned upside down in an instant with an uncurable disease that had virtually no treatment at all. If you were called a leper, you would have been cut off completely from your family, your friends, and everything you had come to know and understand in your life. 
One moment you would be holding your child in your arms and the next they would be ripped completely from you. It would be absolutely impossible to understand just how terrible it would have been to receive this news. What if you wake up tomorrow and you see a red blotchy patch of skin on your arm or your body and the next thing you think to do is I'm going to go up to Refuge Church and I'm going to show Pastor Dornbach this. I'm going to ask him about this and he goes and he gets the scriptures and he pulls out Leviticus 13 and he starts going through the steps and he says, yep, you have leprosy. How horrible would that be? Now don't do this. Go to a medical professional. Don't come up here if you have something like that. We'll pray for you. We believe God can heal you. Amen. But the next step is you come up here. And that happens. So imagine this happening to you. You would have to go around all day. Anytime someone came into close proximity to you and you would have to begin to shout unclean. Unclean, unclean, unclean would be words practiced from your mouth. I mean, what a horrible feeling of being a complete outsider to anything you had ever known. Leprosy is terrible. It causes you to be numb in all of your extremities. Out of all the effects and cases of leprosy, the most contrasting is how leprosy is a reflection of sin. Because what is in the physical is a reflection of what is in the spiritual. Sin is spiritual leprosy for the spiritual man or woman. There is a numbing effect taking place in the spiritual lives of those that are in sin. When we are in sin, we are numb to the pain of sin, and we are unaware of the things that we are damaging in that sin. And that is why our world keeps getting farther and farther and farther away from Jesus, and deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. It is because of that numbing sensation to it. When you're numb, there's no remorse for that sin. You're just going to keep indulging yourself in it. And the problem with sin is that it is a delightful thing for a short amount of time. And when the things of sin start to happen in our lives, we might look around and we just, we get this thought, it's not that bad. I mean, this little red spot of skin might appear in our lives and we think, well, it's just a cut, it's just a scrape, just, maybe it's just a pimple, I don't know, it would be fine. So we go on sinning and carrying out our actions and denial of what is really taking place in our life. We start dabbling in sin and what begins so seemingly innocent turns deadly serious. Sin has a wage, a price to be paid, and that price is death. And the cause and effect of sin are horrible. But it is not until sin takes its full effect and the full onset of the consequences of sin takes its toll on our lives that we realize the trouble that we are in. It's the simple lies we tell ourselves that have the most danger contained in them. Now, that was the longest intro into a sermon you have ever heard. I'm joking. Like people are like, what are you saying? <laughs> this brings us to our main text though. Luke 17 Verse 11 through 19, and it came to pass as he, now this is Jesus, went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a particular village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. 
And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back. And with a loud voice, he glorified God. He fell down on his face and his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. You know, Scripture doesn't have any accidental information in it. That's one of the things that I absolutely love about the Word of God, is that nothing in the Word of God has been misplaced. Every word has an intended purpose, and for the good of those that will listen The account of the ten lepers opens up with Jesus passing through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And something that we need to have context or perspective on is that of the road. You see, the road Jesus was walking down that was between these two places of Samaria and Galilee. This was a place that was divided by the promises of God to the Israelites and rejected the Samaritans. It was a road that separated those that had received the covenant of Abraham and those that had betrayed the covenant of Abraham. This road and how the people were defined caused separation in the nation of Israel. It caused there to be a rift between the people in that land. It caused there to be great animosity towards one another. And Jesus walking this path of separation and rejection on that day is no accident. It is no chance encounter. Because a group of lepers who had nothing to hope for except to enter into their deaths. These men were trained and taught to say unclean. The mental disparity in their lives had taught them not to value their own individual worse. They knew the problem, but they were unfamiliar with the solution. To be fair to them, though, they hadn't been given the information that we have today. They just knew this Jesus guy was different. You see, the rumors and the tales of what he had done was spreading powerfully throughout the land. And it was impacting the world in which they lived in. And this day was going to be different for these ten men. Because there was a hope in the land There was a man walking on this earth who had the power to change things. You know, if you had an opportunity to have things changed in their life, and there was a man who could do that for you, wouldn't you give him a chance? If you say yes to that question, then I'm going to tell you today is a different day for you. Because when you are desperate, and there seems to be no choice in your life, where do you reach? What is it that you're calling out to? These men looked at Jesus and they thought to themselves that today was going to be a different type of day. And so they saw Jesus. And the first thing they thought to say was not unclean, but it was Jesus. Master, have mercy on us. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. I'm thankful that I can call out to a God who will have mercy on me. 
when my life has become a simple mess and I have an overwhelming amount of fear and anxiety that surrounds every choice that I make. There he is in the midst of the most challenging points of my circumstance. There he is, the king of kings. And I begin to say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's like the psalmist said in Psalms 145, the Lord is as close to all who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him in truth. And he comes as a simple mention of your name, of his name, Jesus. So let's just for a moment this morning. Let's take a short time and give Jesus glory. Let's lift that name up because I can't talk about his mercy and not give him praise for that mercy that he's had in my life. Jesus, I praise you. I worship you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for being there in the midst of my storms, in the midst of my trials, Lord. Oh, I worship you and I praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Jesus. Praise Praise Yes, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, he's worthy. Oh, he's worthy. What a moment this would have been for these men. You know, if that was me in this moment, I think about this, and I think something would have sparked in me. I would have took off running to the priest. I mean, my mind would have been focused on things like, I'm going to get my family back. I'm going to get to go back to spending time with my friends. I get to go back to the house of God and feel his presence amidst his people. I get to go back to work. I probably would not have thought that. (laughs) But for these men, it was a great moment in their lives when things got to go back to the way things used to be. You know, before I had this crazy, uncurable disease. And I can visualize these ten men starting to walk towards that place of the priest. You know, the walk maybe slowly turned into a jog, and maybe one of them begins to run. And then before you know it, they're all in a dead sprint to see the priest for what they had lost. I mean, Jesus had cleansed them. And Jesus took what was once pronounced over their lives and he washed it clean. Just through the simple mention of go show yourselves to the priest. I mean, imagine the faces of those priests when those lepers showed up. I mean, they've used Leviticus 13 countless amounts of times. And so these were unprecedented circumstances for these, these priests. I mean, no one had come to them for the cleansing ritual. And so these priests might have been looking at one another a little bit confused, a little bit like... Are you sure we need Leviticus 14? Are you not 13? You know, I, I just imagine these priests scrambling to remember what all needed to be done. And they were probably asking those lepers what happened to them and the events of being cleansed. You know, that happens for us. Go back to work, you have a miracle in your life, and next thing you know, somebody starts talking to you about maybe what happened, and the first thing you start talking about is the experience, right? And this was something new was even unknown to those that had known the promises of God. It's because everything that we encounter in the physical is a reflection of what is happening in the spiritual. When it came to this disease, there was a physical element as well as a mental element. I mean, Jesus had cleansed the lepers. And like those ten lepers, those that are in sin ask for mercy. And this is repentance. 
cannot come to a place in your life, though, where you ask for repentance or for mercy if you haven't had a true moment of repentance happen. It's like what happened to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was having this, this grand vision of the Lord high and lifted up in his temple. And it was at this moment that Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am a man with unclean lips. And so repentance comes not as condemnation for the sin you have in your life, but for the revelation that sin is the absence of God. Sin is the absence of having communion with God. God cannot dwell with you if sin is in your life. You're cut off from that type of relationship. For many who are in sin, this doesn't matter all that much to them. I mean, how could you understand something that you've never had experienced? Sin's numbing effects keep us from ever really knowing how sweet it is to have a relationship with God. And like those ten lepers, Jesus cleanses us as well through baptism. And this is achieved by Jesus who died on the cross for you and me. And because of that sacrifice, Jesus extends his grace as mercy to you. And as a response to that sacrifice, you are offered a moment to be cleansed. And you go down in the water and you come out clean. That's not an act of joining a church, but an act of mercy to those that are tired of being lied to. to that they've been stuck in patterns of deception from a fallen world. And if you are here this morning and you have never entered into that water of baptism, then let him wash you clean like he did those ten lepers. If he can do it for them with a horrific disease that was untreatable, then he can do it for you right now. Because it was Jesus who did this. He is the healer. He is the one who has the power to cleanse. That is why we are baptized in his name. Not his titles, but in his name. He has a lot of titles. But only one name, and that name is Jesus. And at the end of the account of these ten lepers, Jesus looked at the leper who had turned around. And Jesus asked him a question. He says, where are the nine? I mean, where did the others go? You're the only one who turned around and gave praise. He then tells this leper, your faith has made you whole. And this man was the man on the other side of the road from the promise. This man could not reach the promise. He was unable to gain access to what was on the other side of the road. This man was a Samaritan. The Samaritan was a rejected man who couldn't even get the priest of the temple to offer a sacrifice for him. A man who had been called unclean, reject, and outcast. And even in his cleansing, he was still going to be an outcast. It was Jesus who taught the parable of the lost sheep. He said, I'm going to leave the 99 and go after the one. This man had been abandoned by the priest of the land. And when Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest, I just picture this happening for the Samaritan. What he must have thought in that moment. The Samaritan turns around and maybe he stops just mid-walk, mid-track. And he thinks to himself, This man saw me when I couldn't ever be seen by those he just told me to go show myself to. Jesus saw me when no one else was willing to even look. As far as I'm concerned, the only one who saw me was Jesus. 
I was living day after day without anyone ever noticing me when, except when I shouted unclean. Then Jesus came and I asked for mercy and now I'm cleansed of an uncleanable disease. And for this leper, this meant everything to him that Jesus came walking down his road. But it isn't new to you and me. We know Jesus to be a provider. We know Jesus to be a miracle worker, to be the great physician. And what Jesus did for those lepers, he can still do for us now. It was Jesus who said, I came not for those that are whole, for they have no need of a physician, but for those that are sick. And Jesus went on to say, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He didn't come to heal those that felt like everything was perfect in their lives and everything that they had was in good standing as far as they were concerned. He didn't come to save those that felt like they were already saved. And if you have a sickness in your body or sin is entered into your life, Jesus can cleanse the sin from our lives through the response of repentance and entering into that covenant relationship with him. But that's not all Jesus can do. He can heal you physically. He can heal you mentally. I'm wrapping up. When we come to Jesus for something that has been in our lives, whether it is when we go down for the first time into the water of baptism or it is a need that is answered at an altar, we have this tendency to leave the place of our healing, of our cleansing, of our blessing healed but not made whole. There is a thing that happens in communication. It's called information bias. And this is when the speaker or the communicator makes the assumption that the audience knows the information. And the speaker will say things like, you know the story or you know when this happened. And as a preacher and teacher, I am guilty of doing this very thing. But we tend to do that to ourselves and how we respond to the miracles and blessings and provisions of God. We receive the blessings and the miracles and the provisions and the breakthroughs. And then what happens, we move on. It becomes a distant memory of what happened in that place. Not a forgotten one, just a distant one. And this might be to our, our knowledge of just how good God is, of how many times we've seen it, and how many uh, the abundance of seeing Him in action. But I want to say we should take our cue from the tenth leper, the man that Jesus referred to as a Samaritan. Because this Samaritan viewed, who was viewed as a traitor and an outsider to the promises of God. Yet this man praised Jesus and he stayed at his feet. Jesus being a Jew who was in all intents and purposes his enemy. But by this action the Samaritan began the process to be made whole. And what led this man to be made whole started with praise. And as the man praised, his faith was increased. And through that faith, the man encountered transformation. That praise came from thankfulness. A thought of, where else am I going to go, Jesus? The Samaritan had nowhere else to go except to the feet of Jesus. The other nine, they left the healer. And they went to show themselves to the priest they abandoned their real opportunity to receive the complete healing that was initially intended for their lives. 
I'm closing if you'll stand with me. Those ten lepers had lost everything and even hoped seemed too far away to cling to. Then Jesus came walking up the road. And it was this day that they decided, you know, instead of unclean, I'm going to ask him for mercy. And in unison, they shouted to him, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And if you're here today and you need to know that there is nothing too hard for our God, he said that you would be healed this day. Because today is a different day. I know that every time you come to an altar, altar after altar, response after response, no results. But I want to remind you of the ten. They had no hope that day. And day after day, they had no promise. But then one day Jesus came walking down their road. And today is that day that Jesus has come walking down your road. And on one side of the road is fear, rejection, anxiety. But on the other side of the road is the promise. It is the blessing. It is the provision. So don't leave here today without giving him a chance. And just cry out, have mercy on me, Jesus. Have mercy on me. These altars are open. Whatever you need, he came here to meet that need today. Don't leave here without seeking him, without coming to this altar and giving him everything. He has a desire to make you whole. He's faithful to hear you, and he can do it for you. If he did it for those lepers, then he can do it for you. If he did it for me, then he can do it for you. It is Jesus. He wants to show you how faithful and true his word is. You leave something that you need unsaid, you're not allowed to tell the truth but Jesus. I want to say the heart of suicide has no authority in this place today. Depression has no authority in this place today. You make the darkness tremble. The power of Jesus has the power to cleanse all things. Diabetes has no authority in this place. Cancer has no authority in this place. You make the darkness tremble. Give it to Him.
Oh, Jesus, Jesus. 